Jacques and Winstrong, check them out on SoundCloud. That song and many, many other amazing tunes are available for free out there. So check them out, Facebook and all that stuff. Episode 18 is huge. We, you're going to need a double-wide paper for this one. You're going to need to maybe even glue two of them together and figure it out because this is not your average spliff here. Episode 18 is on deck with some serious serious guests and great information. First of which, I think, uh, producer Mike, should we talk about uh, the Denver musical acts here? The, uh, we campus definitely Cup? should. This is Mike Hughes. That's Danny Danko. Yes. And this is episode 18. Welcome, everybody. Uh, yeah, we've got some great musical guests coming in uh, the Denver Cup. So. Yeah, I mean, 420, the Friday night party, incredible. Barrington Levy and a bunch of other great acts. Reggie Watts, Giant Panda, Gorilla Dub Squad. That's the Friday night party that on, on 420. 420. That is the place to be on 420 this year in Denver. That is the place to be. Um, City Hall Event Center on 420. It's going to be off the chain. So shout Sponsored out. Sponsored by our, our good friends at uh, Incredible. Incredible. Shout out to Incredible. Shout out to all the people involved with that because that's going to be an incredible show. And then our show Saturday night, our VIP gig is Odd Futures Mellow Hype, which is incredible. These kids are amazing. Under 20 years old and just killing it in the hip-hop world, Haji and Left Brain, Haji Beats, and uh, and we got Jasper Dolphin Jasper, and Domo, yeah. too, Domo Genesis, also appearing with them, so that's going to be pretty pretty exciting. Looking and, forward to that. That is yeah, going to be a DJ Nick T is going to run some tunes, and that's going to be a fun time, too, so we're excited about that. Uh, what a show. We have on this show, as well, Miss Jill, who is uh, Subcool's better half at TGA, uh, the Team Green Avengers uh, seed breeding outfit, which has done incredible stuff in the Pacific Northwest with some of the most amazing strains, uh, Jack the Ripper and all kinds of really good stuff. Jelly Bean is hers. Space Jill is hers. Uh, one, of the, one of the few and rare female uh, cannabis breeders we'll be speaking with today. Um, we got some HT.com info too, right, Mike? Yeah, just real quick, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, Senate Minority Leader out of Kentucky, is Ooh. a disingenuous bastard. Find out why on HighTimes.com. And also, uh, we just put up a really great grow story, uh, Nico Escondido. Uh, he profiles a gigantic outdoor pot farm in California and kind of teaches you how to grow uh, huge yielding plants outdoors. So check that out on HighTimes.com. Yeah. What else do we have going? I think there's something special today. A ton of stuff. We got uh, our cultivation segment is going to have the strain of the week, um, a new segment that we're doing, this versus that, you know, indica versus sativa and so forth. Um, obviously, the usual questions and answers from Twitter and all of that, which is amazing. But we have, for the second week in a row, the Bob Marley takeover from BobMarleyFreeShirt.com. 
And uh, I don't know if you guys heard episode 17, but if you did not, we got to play some incredible Bob Marley music. If you go to BobMarleyFreeShirt.com, you can check it out. There are amazing remastered versions of some of his most incredible records. Deluxe editions with liner notes and, and tons of uh, remastered tracks that sound amazing. So if you're looking for that, you get a free t-shirt with that and... That's automatic. You can also sign up for a free shirt on there as well, and you can Facebook it and Twitter it. So, yeah, if, if you're a Marley fan, you really got to check this out. The music is tremendous, and you know you get a free shirt with the purchase. So it's definitely a, a good deal. Check out BobMarleyFreeShirt.com. Yeah. And in the spirit of free, uh, we're trying to give these things away, guys. So yeah. Come on. If you do that Twitter and Facebook thing, I mean, put it up there. Let us know what Bob Marley's music meant to you. There's Rastaman Vibration and Catch a Fire and all kinds of stuff. And we're going to be listening to that on all the in- intros and outros for the show. With that in mind, we also have an incredible guest, uh, the Honorable Roger Steffens, who, if you don't know, is the premier historian of reggae, a friend of Bob Marley's, a friend of Peter Tosh. Uh, He has an incredible archive of reggae that takes up six rooms in his house of amazing records, amazing everything. Basically, if you have a reggae record with liner notes, he probably wrote the liner notes in that. So that's Roger Steffens. Episode 18, without further ado, we are going to go into an incredible song by Bob from Catch a Fire called Slave Driver, remastered and a message to the prohibitionists. Welcome, Free Weed fans. Uh, we are back with uh, quite a treat here. We have Mr. Roger Steffens, the archivist and friend of, of Bob Marley, uh, and, and uh, all those things that I mentioned in the introduction. Thank you, Mr. Roger Steffens, sir. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> it's nice to be here with you, Daddy. Yeah, and uh, our show actually is brought... Uh, to us by the documentary that you recently saw, Marley and the uh, Bob Marley free sh- FreeShirt.com uh, thing that they're doing with all the remastered uh, versions of the records. And I just wanted to... It, it, did you Have you seen that documentary? Yes. In fact, I, I saw it a week ago. I, I saw the final print a week ago here. Yeah. There. We just got to see it as well. And, and it, it's called Marley, right? That's the yes. official... Yeah, and it's it's a long. It was over two hours, about 150 minutes or so, and I felt like it was it was done really well. It had some very interesting uh, things and and footage that I had had never seen, and I actually learned a few things about Bob that I didn't uh, necessarily know prior to seeing it. What was your impression? Well, I I went you know with. Uh feeling of objectivity because I've been involved in so many of these films over the years, the mm-hmm. TV documentaries and so forth, and some of them I've liked and some of them I, I thought missed the mark. So I, I went with an open mind and 
sat next to Santa Davis, in fact, Peter Tosh's drummer from the Soul Syndicate and the Word Sound Power Band. And my wife and I and Santa uh, were in the front row watching it, and uh, there were points at which each of us uh, was wiping away tears. And uh, I think it was uh, a very, very good film. The three of us liked it enormously. There, there has been some... Um, concern from people who who know every step of Bob's life who've seen the film, who, who didn't like it. And uh, uh, I, I think if you judge the film as the first thing that many people are ever going to see about Bob Marley, then it's going to come off very, very well. Uh, they've hit most of the high points of his life. They've gotten new interviews with major people in Bob's life, and they... Uh, are not afraid to reveal contradictions, as you you saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are points at which there are people uh, vigorously disagreeing with uh, what other people have said or, or told uh, the filmmaker Kevin McDonald. Um, it's great to see uh, his performances on a big screen and to hear it in, in great sound. Uh, there hasn't been a big screen film on Bob ever in America. You know, we've been waiting for 31 years for somebody to do a biopic about Bob, and that still hasn't happened. So this is the closest we're going to come to a big screen feature. And uh, I think, generally speaking, people are going to love it. What was your impression of the film's account of Dr. Uh, Isels or Isels at the and the treatment that Bob Marley uh, received in Switzerland? Well, there was a long passage at the end of the film uh, talking about his. Uh, treatment in a clinic in Bavaria that only took patients who had been given up by other doctors as incurable. And uh, this Dr. Issels claimed a 10% rate of cure among them. So in desperation, after all the doctors at Sloan Kettering had given up on Bob, he went off to, to Germany and uh, for six months he was treated there before they finally gave up as well. And there were a number of things that happened during that time um, that sort of contravened the treatment that Bob was getting from Dr. Issels. Uh, People would come from Jamaica with food he wasn't supposed to eat and give them that food. You know, he was fighting, but, um, you know, it it was a a battle that he was not destined to win. Issels had a, a very controversial uh, background. I, I, I've talked recently uh, to people who know his wife. His wife is in her 90s, and she's still alive. And, uh, there were there were some things in, in, in Bob's mother's book about that time in Germany. She was with him for most of that time, and, and there were very disturbing reports of what was happening at that clinic. But he did keep him alive six months longer than doctors thought he would live. Um, you know, we don't want our heroes to die, especially to die young. And uh, he, he left so much more work to do, and I think that's what brings a tear to most people's eyes is all the great art that never got out. Well, uh, um, I want to put everything uh, here into perspective as well. I mean, your radio career began in 1961, and uh, you would be, I would imagine, the premier archivist of reggae and in particular uh, the Bob Marley archives that you have. Can you um, give our listeners a, a, a description of that archive? <laughs> How much time do you have? 
Uh, it's been an obsession since since 1973. I, I read an article in Rolling Stone by a gonzo journalist from Australia named Michael Thomas, who said reggae music crawls into your bloodstream like some vampire amoeba from the psychic rapids of Upper Niger consciousness. <laughs> and I, I have no idea what that means, but I got to find it. And I was living in Berkeley, and I went out immediately to a used record store, and I found a copy of Catch a Fire for two and two and a quarter, and I brought it home, figuring, you know. That's not too much to lose if it's a lousy record, but when I put it on, I was hooked from the first notes of Concrete Jungle, and the next day I saw The Harder They Come and bought the soundtrack on the way home, and my life changed forever from, from those moments. And whenever a subject interests me, I, I keep a file on it. So I, I put that issue of Rolling Stone into a manila folder, and that, as I look back now with the benefit of hindsight, was the birth of Roger Steffen's reggae archives, which has forced us to move house at least twice already to hold the archive, and, and now we're just about filled to capacity in the house we, we live in currently. Uh, six rooms, floor to ceiling, plus a garage filled with reggae and everything <laughs> about the reggae culture, um, Rastafari. And, uh, you know, re reggae is a music you really have to meet halfway. Uh, you have to study a little to to understand the lyrics and, and the topics about which it speaks. So you have to learn about Jamaican history and culture. You have to learn about Haile Selassie and Ethiopia and, uh, reluctantly, the Bible. I, I was raised Catholic in New York, so I knew nothing about the Bible. And uh, so I've, I've looked through Bob's use of the Bible and his lyrics and, and the use that other reggae artists make of it. So the collection now, I'll give you some rough figures, there are over 10,000 hours of cassettes, and they include 1,400 hours of the master tapes of the reggae beat show that Hank Holmes and I did here in Los Angeles. Um, I did seven and a half years with Hank. and We were also syndicated in an hour-long version uh, to 130 stations around the world for about four and a half years. And uh, all of those tapes and their master forms exist in, in the archive. And then there's an entire huge cabinet of thousands of, of live shows, many of which I emceed during the 80s here in Los Angeles. Uh, there are probably 13, 14,000 uh, LPs and CDs. Uh, there are 1,100 <laughs> reggae T-shirts. <laughs> there's about wow. 4,000 reggae buttons. Uh, there's over 3,000 magazines from all over the world and hundreds of books. Uh, there's probably 30,000 reggae flyers from all over the world. There's wow. thousands of posters, and there are huge banners. There are sculptures and paintings. Oh, and then video. There, There's over 2,000 hours of video. And so it, it is in need of digitizing at this point, <laughs> needless to say, and that's a Herculean task, and we're trying to find some grants to, uh, to do that. For a long time throughout the past decade, I was in negotiations with the Jamaican government to buy the archive to make it the National Museum of Jamaican Music, but they ultimately would not agree to keep my collection intact. And that was a, a major stumbling block, and I, I didn't want to see it on eBay six months after I sold it to them. So I'm still looking for an institution 
which to, to place the archive and, and wow. preserve it. Jamaica's own archive that the Jamaican Broadcasting Company was looted down to the ground so they don't have any of their history anymore, so they were looking to me to give them an instant museum. Perhaps there is still something that could be worked out with Jamaica, but they've got to guarantee to keep it intact, and they've got to make it available to the public. Those are my never-changing bottom lines. Wow. Well, aside from uh, the archive, you are also are the author of an, a number of books about Bob Marley, uh, and one of them is uh, One Love, Life with Bob Marley and the Whalers. And so you actually were able to also become friends with Bob Marley uh, and, and actually travel a bit on the Uprising tour as well, right? Uh, no, on the Survival Tour in 79. That was his last tour of California. I spent two weeks on the road with him then. And the One Love book I did in conjunction with the man called the White Whaler, Lee Jaffe. And I did all the interviews in the book and, and basically put the book together for him, for Norton. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, he was the harmonica player on Natty Dread. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Uh, and so what was what was uh, Bob like in, you know, in private in those moments that weren't uh, necessarily things we would know about from video footage? He was he was very quiet. He was a watcher. He commanded the attention of the room, no matter how many people were in that room. Of course, they all reacted to whatever mood Bob was in. Um, the most disciplined person, Danny, I think I've ever met in my life. I mean, he was always the first person on the bus, and the last guy up at night, and the first guy up in the morning. All those cliches you've heard are, are true, based on my own you know, personal witnessing of it. And. Uh, he, he cared about people. He cared about the audience. He was the least superstar-like of anybody I've ever met on that level and uh, open to to fans. I mean, I remember in, in late 79 when I was with him, he walked from the sound check at the Roxy where he had played three hours all by himself, all the instruments by himself. And, and the first hour he kept singing something over and over again about redemption. Uh, and then he walked three blocks down Sunset Boulevard to Tower Records to sign autographs. Uh, you know, uh, a superstar would have taken the limo, even if it were only three blocks. And, and Bob had no pretensions like that at all. And just a, a warm and, and loving and concerned guy. But he was, you know, despite a lack of formal education, he was really an intellectual. I, I have on the side of my desk here where I'm talking to you in the reggae archives a um, quote from Eleanor Roosevelt who said, great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, small minds discuss people. And Bob was a man of ideas. He was always talking about the broadest picture, about how to change the world, and about how Selassie was the answer to all of mankind's problems, and the one love philosophy was the only way that the earth would survive. And that's a, a philosophy that, that uh, appeals to herb smokers in particular, because Bob was a constant uh, smoker. I'm, I'm often recounting in my Life of Bob Marley shows the fact that at the millennium, the New York Times, uh, Bob Marley was the most influential musician of the second half of the 20th century. And the man for the first was Louis Armstrong, and both of them were daily herb users. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know... Uh... Louis Armstrong actually said that uh, he would put down the horn if he ever got busted again because he had to go through his wife uh, getting busted 
in the 50s, and he actually threatened to put his horn down if he could not smoke, and and they kind of laid off him after that. I'm sure Bob had some incidents as well, um, you know, where he may have been smoking where he, he shouldn't have, but got away with it maybe because he was Bob Marley later on in life. Yeah, he once had a small fine in court in Britain, but I think uh, Blackwell's lawyers uh, pulled some strings on that one. Yeah, Blackwell and... being the head of Island Records. I believe that High Times, uh, that 1976 cover that we had with Bob, was the first uh, national magazine in the U.S. to have him on the cover. So I think, you know, the the High Times-Bob Marley connection was always pretty strong. Yeah, and Kim Gottlieb took that picture of Bob sitting behind a desk full of herb with a big smile on his face. And my most recent book is one that I did with Kim called Bob Marley and the Golden Age of Reggae, the photographs of Kim Gottlieb Walker. She was a uh, a wonderful photographer in uh, the 60s and 70s whose husband, Jeff Walker, was Bob's publicist and was with uh, Bob at the time of the Smile Jamaica assassination attempt and made a film about it at that time. So they were, uh, Jeff and Kim were deep insiders and... uh, that picture is one of her most famous, and also the picture she took of Peter Tosh that became the cover of Equal Rights. Uh, and, and the book has the most amazing, intimate pictures of Bob in 75 and 76 in Jamaica and the whole culture of, of reggae as it was emerging into the outer world. So I wrote a long essay on the artists and, and the fact that that period was the height of the golden age right there, the, the best artists in Jamaica making the best works of their lives. Amazing. Yeah, well, speaking of uh, of Peter Tosh, uh, I, we, you and I got to hang out in Amsterdam when we inducted Peter Tosh into the uh, High Times Counterculture Hall of Fame, and that was really a great experience for me uh, to get to spend some time with you and, and your wife Mary in Holland and hear a lot of the stories and presentations that you had about about Peter as well, because... Uh, Peter and Bob are sort of the, you know, Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King of, of reggae in, in some Precisely. ways. And I, I find, you know, I think I first heard that that uh, comparison from you, uh, possibly. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> that and, was a great time. That was one of the nicest times I've I've had in many many years. And the way that you put that whole thing together with your colleagues at High Times was so professional and. So enjoyable, and and finally Peter got uh, got his his props from from High Times. Uh, a little bit overdue, but nothing before the time. Uh, Absolutely, I mean these, these were are guys. You, are you still doing it every year now in the fall? We are. We're I, we're coming up on the 25th anniversary this year, mm. and we're actually uh, it's the Founders Cup, and so we're honoring uh, Stephen Hager, the founder oh, who started the whole thing, who you spent I'm sure uh, uh, great yeah, times great, over yeah. there with. Uh, and I mean, it was him that brought you over there as well. So, yeah. uh, so we're honoring him, and as well as some of the Dutch, the founders of the whole Dutch scene uh, in general, because of of what they were able to do uh, for cannabis in general. Which which brings me back in a way to Bob Marley, because the phenomenon of Bob Marley is so much bigger than than music. I I mean, he really was an ambassador for a, a culture and a lifestyle of which. I, you know, marijuana plays a role, but it's it's a, a, almost a, you know just this way of being, uh, kindness to other people, uh, caring for the poor and the sick, and and that sort of philosophy, which I think also made him quite dangerous. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a, a danger to the political establishment. They tried to kill him, in fact. Um, and it was his generosity that people in Jamaica most often speak about. His business manager, Colin Leslie, told me that Bob supported 6,000 people a month. That's amazing. Whose lives depended on, on that check each month from Bob Marley. And wow. I, I know very few other rock stars who would even be interested in doing anything like that. He, he, he existed for his people. His life, as he said himself, was not for himself, but it was for his people. And wow. One of the other things that they're making available now is that uh, final September 23rd, 1980 Pittsburgh show, uh, right. which has been remastered. And I, I mean, maybe we could talk about that show for a little bit because I've always sort of been, been haunted almost because he, he knows at that point he's been diagnosed uh, with cancer and he's, he's, well, he was he's already collapsed. In, he's already, but he's he already collapsed in Central Park. He had about three weeks to live. Oh, so he was diagnosed in 77. Yeah, when they discovered the melanoma and the toe, big toe on the right foot. Okay. That part of that toe room. And he never, you know, he didn't go back for the regular checkups he should have had. After the two New York shows on Friday and Saturday, he was jogging in Central Park with Danny Sims and other people from his life and uh, collapsed on Sunday afternoon. And uh, Ultimately, the doctors told him he had three weeks to live, so get his affairs in order, and instead he went to Pittsburgh to do one more show. Now, I've argued with the band for many years over this because I, I think it's because he didn't want to go down in history as having done his final show as opening act for Lionel Richie and the Commodores. <laughs> the Whalers don't, don't agree with that, but I, I kind of think that's the reason he did one more show. And, and when you listen to that, you know, you don't see any flagging strength. You're, no, if anything, it sounds... You a man in, in total command of his powers. If anything, it sounds to me like he, uh, he just doesn't want to leave the stage. And so he, he sort of stretches so, stretches some of the songs a bit, including, I think, Redemption Song goes pretty long. And it, I, I feel like he, he's, you know, he, he know he may know that it's the last last show he'll ever play. Yeah, I think he did. And, and you know, I'm, I'm working on my own magnum opus right now, an oral history of Bob Marley for W.W. W. Norton. And uh, I've got over 85 interviews with Bob and people who were closest to him um, telling their story in their own words without any Timothy White nonsense tacked onto it, mumbo-jumbo stuff, letting people have the chance for history to hear their own story exactly as they want it to be told. And the problem with oral history is all the contradictions. I mean, here's a modern time. Bob did that last show in 1980, um, on September 23rd, as you said. Mm-hmm. And we had radio and television and tape recorders and all the modern methods of recording. And I can't find any unanimity among the people who were on stage that day as to what song was being sung at the sound check. And I just came across an interview with with, uh, Marcia Griffiths of the I-3 who said, we sang for almost three hours one song over and over, I'm hurting inside. And his engineer, who was mixing it, told me that, no, Bob did this other song over and over of... Uh, another one bites the dust, if you can imagine that. So I, I still don't know what song was sung at that uh, sound check. And, and the people who were there doing the, the performing and mixing don't even agree on that. 
so it's a, it's a challenge to do a book like this, but I, I also want history to have that raw material. I want it to be the, the first book that historians talk to uh, or look at when they're uh, doing their own work in the future. Wow. And that'll go along with the other book that I did with Leroy Pearson, the Whaler's Definitive Discography, which is the history of every song they ever did uh, based on the format of a, a college discographical textbook, the kind of things they would do for Miles Davis. Leroy and I spent 15 years working on that book, and we ended up making 2500 bucks from it. Wow. But the uh, history will have that information, and it's, it's crucially important that the facts are out there. Uh, even though they say there are no facts in Jamaica, only versions. <laughs> I think that'll be the, uh, the epigram at the front of my oral history book. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, uh, <laughs> I hate to start wrapping it up, but we've we've gone our our, uh, our limit, and I hope to have you on again. I really appreciate it. If if there's anything, uh, if maybe there's something that you have uh, to say about Bob Marley that maybe people don't understand or don't know, or something that you've you've noticed or want people to understand about him, maybe. In well, I I do, and it, it pertains to the topics of of your broadcast too. Uh, I asked him once about Herb, and he said. You know, it is very important to understand that herb is not to be used simply for jollification. It should also be used for education. That is its primary purpose. And uh, that, uh, by that he meant it is the way he unified his spirit with, with his oversoul or with God or whatever jaw, whatever word you want to use for the, the overlighting spirit. And, and that is how he communicated and that is how he channeled his songs. And there is not one single anthem that he wrote from Exodus to Redemption Song to Jamming that was not inspired directly by his conscious use of Jah Holy Herb. And, uh, you know, anybody who's, who comes up to me and says, ah, wasn't he just a, a stoner who was stoned all the time and just lazy hanging out? No, it was the utter and absolute opposite of that. He, he worked harder than any three men and uh, paid the price with an early leaving. But he knew he was going to die young. He told people in Delaware in 1969 when he was 24 years old that he was going to die at 36. And wow. that's when he died. So he, he was something from another world. We, we don't see spirits like that on the planet more than once or twice a, a century. He was the artist of the century, the most important, most influential musical artist worldwide in, in the entire 20th century. And um, we were lucky to share the planet with him. Wow. Well, thank you so much uh, for for sharing your uh, personal knowledge and all of that. I really do appreciate it. Uh, my best to you and Mary. And next time we're out in Los Angeles, I hope to visit the archive myself. Because, yeah, man, you got to uh, come by before it bursts through the wall. <laughs> absolutely. We'll smoke one and, uh, and, and take a look at all the amazing rare stuff. If people want to get a look at that, uh, online uh, is it hermosarecords.com hey, well they, they can go right to reggaesupersite com. oh okay so reggaesupersite.com r-e-g-g-a-e s-u-p-e-r-s-i-t-e check out reggaesupersite.com and look toward the end of the year for my oral history of Bob Marley from Norton well thank you so much for coming on Freeweed with Danny Danko uh, and talking about your friend and the legend Bob Marley. My pleasure. One love, my brother. 
Wow, yeah, that was tremendous. Thank you to Mr. Roger Steffens for appearing on the show. That, uh, that's some incredible information from a friend of Bob Marley's himself. Also want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by BC Northern Lights at bcnorthernlights.com. These guys have grow boxes for pretty much every application you may have. The bloom box, the producer, the mothership, the nursery. Uh, nursery in particular is a cloning monster. You can get a ton of clones out of this thing. Mothership, perfect for mother plants, producer, uh, the bloom box, all in one. So these are plug-and-play units with touchscreens and everything. These guys have been around for years making these things up in Canada. So check them out, bcnorthernlights.com, 888-236-1266. And let them know Freeweed sent you, and you get free shipping. No sun will shine in my day today. No sun will shine. The high yellow moon won't come out to That's play. Welcome back, everybody. We have a special treat for you now on Free Weed. We have the lovely Miss Jill of TGA Genetics and Subcool Seeds. Thank you very much, Miss Jill. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, I was, I'm very excited to have you. Most of the time when we have growers on, um, they tend to be male for whatever reason. So it's, uh, it's great to have the female perspective. Yeah. So uh, what, what role exactly do you play for T- TGA Genetics? Well, Danny, um, I'm actually the bud smoker between us. Sub prefers to smoke hash. Um, it's just what he enjoys. <laughs> so I get to test out all the new strains and the potential parents. Um, so I guess you could say I'm the final word on all the new releases. But seriously, I feel my main presence as a TGA member is to keep up the female-male balance. And, you know, the cannabis world is mainly dominated by men, and... Sub and I are actually, we work together as a team, and at TGA, girls get a say. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's, that's excellent. Um, t- uh, tell me a little bit about these strains, uh, the Jilly Bean and the Agent Orange. Well, Jilly Bean is a perfect example of my feminine influence at TGA. It's a, a very upbeat strain with amazing candy flavors. And I've heard from many other women that it actually makes them a little frisky in the bedroom. Wow. Uh, and <laughs> that's fun. And so, anyways, this was my first string. It's a cross between the Orange Velvet clone only and our Space Queen. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm really glad we got a chance to grow this strain out because I, I don't think Seb would have chosen this one. It sounded like something um, he wouldn't really uh, like, so we gave it a try and it turned out pretty good. Nice, nice. And I actually, that was a 2007 Top 10 Strain Award winner in High Times as well, I believe. Yes, it was. Cool. And uh, what about that uh, that Agent Orange? Well, Agent Orange, we created that one for a much different reason. This strain was a tribute for my dad. He um, was in Vietnam, and he uh, contracted cancer from the chemical Agent Orange. So that's why we decided to name the strain Agent Orange. So Agent Orange actually shares the same mother plant as Jelly Bean does, um, but it has a much different effect. 
sub would actually call the, this one the industrial orange due to the potency. And the male we used on this was um, sub's ace strain, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper has actually tested in at about 26% total cannabinoids. Wow. Yeah, I love that Jack the Ripper. That's uh, He uses that. You guys have that as a, a parent in a lot of crosses, right? Yes, we do. Cool. Very and uh, I also hear you have a new, a new cross that you wanted to introduce. Yes. Um, this will be the first time uh, this strain has been... Um, that anyone's heard about this strain, and the name of this new strain will be Orange Cruche. It's a cross between my Orange Velvet and also the Bubba Kush. Orange Cruche uh, is just starting in the works now, so this, we, we would guess that this project should be released right about um, the first part of 2013. Wow. Cool. Well, that's a good, cool exclusive for the Free Weed Show, the Orange Cruche. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Another question, do do you believe that females have a special relationship with cannabis plants that males maybe don't? Yeah, I think as a female we tend to be um, closer to nature and more gentle, nurturing when it comes to the plants. For a long time I actually took the clones, um, all of our clones, because I felt that I had a lighter touch, I had better results than sub. His big man hands smashed <laughs> the little clone stems. <laughs> so I think guys tend to look at things a little more scientifically, and women approach it with just a bit more love. Wow, cool. Well, uh, uh, also, what's your preferred method for growing out um, TGA strains or pretty much any any other strains? Well, when I met Subcool, I actually used to use the uh, bubbler buckets. One of the first setups they didn't have, um, you couldn't go to the store and, and buy the setup together. We actually had to make it, I, I made it myself. I had to drill holes in the buckets and put a water, uh, put a toilet, um, the, the little uh, float for the toilets in, in there to keep, on the control bucket to keep the water levels right. And I'd put three, uh, three buckets to one, one control. And I used the Lucas recipe with that. Um, General Hydro, mm -hmm. and I actually had really good results, but when Sub came, he actually took all my, my pots and drilled holes in them all and filled them up with soil. wasn't very happy at first, but <laughs> as, um, as, as things went along, I found that the super soil was actually a very good, a very good method. It, the, the strains seemed to grow almost as fast in the super soils they did in Hydro. I was kind of surprised about that. Soil seemed to always be quite a bit slower. And the best part is, once you've had the super soil all made up, all you have to do is put the plants in it and water them. Yeah, they just need plain water, right? The, yeah, just plain water. That's good. And any nutrients towards the end, if they need anything, which usually they don't, I would just add a couple handfuls of the soil to top dress around the top, and then water, and the nutrients come back in through the soil. That's great. Um, one thing I notice about you guys is, uh, as opposed to a lot of other um, breeding outfits. You guys do a lot to help medical patients and a lot of the forums and stuff. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of stuff that you guys do basically to help these medical users. So is there a specific reason you like helping medical users and are you one yourself? Yes, I am a medical user. Um, I started out growing as, as a medical patient. I had some back pain and, um, I used it to help control the pain. And we, we just, we love to help people. We get so many touching stories from so many different people. The most recent was a letter from a man. He had served three tours in the military. He had some pretty serious issues with post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, he had really found some relief in, the, in our strange Jack the Ripper. 
So, you know, that, that's really wonderful. It's a great feeling for us to be able to help out a veteran of our country, and that's plenty enough reward for us. Wow, that's great. Um, uh, do you prefer indicas or sativas? I prefer I prefer um, hybrids because I can I can select the desired effect, whether it be a sativa dominant for daytime or a good fifty fifty cross for evening relaxation, or even an indica dominant to knock me out if I need it. I also prefer hybrids because they always seem to have a better taste. I like to call it designer weed. <laughs> now, what about you? Mentioned that. Uh that sub prefers to smoke the hash. Do you guys, or do you in particular, prefer dry sieved hash, BHO, or uh, ice water bubble? Well, you know, I, I, I really don't like to smoke hash or bubble. I, I actually prefer to smoke organic, well-cured buds. But sometimes in social settings, I will partake in a dab or two. Okay, and uh, joints or bongs? Bongs. Bongs. <laughs> that seems to be a big, uh, a big thing out west. Uh, now... I have a question about the uh, the seed biz in general. Why aren't there more women involved in the seed business? Why do you think? Well, you know, I'm not quite sure how to answer this one. I guess because um, women didn't attempt to start out. Uh, we didn't attempt to start out as a seed business. Our goal was to create better genetics. So Sub and I worked, and Dioxide worked together, and we created these strains, adding a little bit of personal flavor from each of us. The seed business has kind of developed around us before we realized what was really going on, and um, everybody was demanding our strength. Nice, nice. How do people get information about uh, TGA, Team Green Avenger? Uh, is it TGAgenetics.com? Yes. Right, so that's where they would find out. Uh, there's uh, descriptions of all the different strains, ways to get the seeds, frequently asked questions, and information about you guys and how to contact you. So everything is there at TGAgenetics.com, right? Yes, yes. And we, we have a new clothing line. Um, be really, really great to check that out. We've got some hats, some new shirts, some hoodies, some jars. Really great stuff, great colors. Cool. Well, that's great. I really uh, want to thank you because I know you, you, you tend to sort of stay in the background and not really seek out any, any of the limelight. So I really do appreciate you coming on the show with us here and uh, if people want to check it out, check out uh, TGAgenetics.com and check out that clothing line as well. Miss Jill, uh, give my best to Mr. Subcool. Thank you very much and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, Danny. It was a pleasure. Wow. Thank you so much to Miss Jill for coming on TGAgenetics.com. And speaking of TGA Genetics, uh, our sponsor, Ontario Seed Bank, has a new fresh batch of seeds from TGA Genetics, including the Ripped Buddha, which is the pre-98 Buddha times Jack the Ripper, the Space Dog, which is Snow Dog times Space Queen, and all of these are $120 for a 10-pack. Now, because of Miss Jill's in appearance and in honor of her appearance on the show, they have a special running, which is Space Jill. This is Miss Jill's Space Jill, Romulan Romulan times Cinderella 99, so it's Romy times Cindy, and they are doing this for 35% off. So normally these are $120 seeds. Right now, if you mention Danny Danko's free weed at Ontario Seed Bank, you get these seeds for 80 bucks, $40 off of the $120 price. And if you mention my cues, it costs twice as much. So you have to pay it. <laughs> it was a 200. So check them out, please, please. OntarioSeedBank.ca. 
Uh, call them anytime, 416-255-5355. They're right there in Toronto. You can drive up there. They've got free delivery on orders over 25 bucks. All kinds of bulk deals, including they still have the 50 packs for $100. They have Skunk Times Diesel, which we've been advertising. And now they're also offering Big Cheese for 50 seeds for a hundred dollars two dollars a seed so stock up now's the time it's time to get planting very soon so please check out ontarioseedbank.ca give them a call tell them free weed from danny danko sent you and tell them thank you for 10 years of incredible service to the marijuana growing community and in honor of breeding seeds i think we should play a little kinky reggae from mr bob marley on the way out of this one for kinky reggae what a great track remastered completely right now for you so check out bobmarleyfreeshirt.com on that tip yeah that one's on uh, the remastered catch a fire right catch a fire an incredible record incredible record by bob um so what are we doing cultivation yeah why not all right it's cultivation time let's do the strain of the week strain of the week this one is honestly seriously my desert island strain super snow dog this is from ChemDog and uh, also Doghouse Seeds. This was uh, a High Times Top 10 strain winner in 2007. The Super Snow Dog to me is just one of the greatest out of the whole Chem family. Um, it's an Oregon Snow Male crossed with Mass Super Skunk. That's the male and that's a Bubble Chem female. So it's a really incredible cross, very frosty. And the Bubble Chem is actually, uh, that's Sagamartha Blueberry times Chemdog's sister. And so if you know anything about Chemdog's sister, you know uh, combining these incredible strains is, is a great idea. And this is the fastest finishing and sweetest tasting of all the amazing Chemdog strains for me. Um, maybe just the holy grail that people have been looking for. Instant connoisseur choice. Uh, and it's definitely hard to find. I mean, uh, it's not something that's widely available. So with a really short flowering time, like eight weeks, to get this frosty and tasty is pretty incredible. So I do have to admit, it is probably my number one favorite. Kem tells me that you should grow this in the five-gallon containers and veg for a full month if you want to get like a cucumber plant. It's not the hugest yielder, but what you get is so worthwhile that it, uh, you know, it really knocks your socks off. So definitely, if you can get your hands on Super Snow Dog, I know there's some plans in the future to get this stuff out to everybody. Uh, check it out. High Times Top 10 Strain in 2007, Super Snow Dog. Super Snow Dog, very cool. Yes. Um, I'll tell you what, you know, we had been going Strain of the Week, and then Q&A, and then Cultivation Tip, but I want to go back to our roots. I, we started off doing strain and then the Q&A, I mean, strain and then the tip and then the Q&A. So okay. let's, let's just go into your tip of the week here. What do you got for everybody? I wanted to do uh, a segment called This Versus That, and it would just be a few different things that I always get asked um, 
and so it's just an explanation of this versus that. I like um, it. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds promising. So we'll start off uh, with indica versus sativa. That's a question people ask a lot. A lot of people don't know, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, indicas are, are the shorter flowering, uh, bushier, shorter plants that come from, you know, like the Afghan sort of regions. And sativas are more equatorial, you know, Colombian and um, places that are closer to the equator and also not in high altitudes. So they have longer flowering periods because they have more sunshine in their life. Um, for me, you know, I think of sativas as daytime weed and indicas as nighttime weed. So I wouldn't really want to pit them against each other. And pretty much everything we smoke is a hybrid anyway. So you can't really pit them against each other. They're yeah, very hard to find a pure uh, sativa or indica, right? Yeah. And if you do find a pure sativa, by all means, hang on to it because it's an incredible, incredibly electric up high. And it's perfect for, you know, accomplishing tasks and, and getting you know, inspired. Whereas, you know, a pure would you say indica... you, you found a couple of pure sativas out in uh, Los Angeles? Because you were a judge in that category, right? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely some close to pure sativas for sure. But the pure, really pure uh, African or, or South American strains aren't really always the prettiest ones. They're a little leafy. They tend to, you know, not fill out quite as much as a lot of the, uh, you know, the hybrids and the, uh, obviously the indicas. So... Less bag appeal, I guess. But, right, but, a but great if you high. get, you know, Vietnamese or Thai or Laotian sativas, those Southeast Asian ones, or a nice African uh, racy sort of uh, Durban or something, those are just incredible strains. So indica versus sativa, they both win. <laughs> Perfect. It's a, it's a draw. <laughs> yeah. Um, male plants versus female plants. This one's very easy. Female plants. <laughs> uh, if males pop up... <laughs> If you're growing seed from seed and you've sexed the plants and you have males, unless you plan on breeding, you get rid of those males with extreme prejudice. Uh, kill them, compost them, get rid of them. Don't let them linger because they will seed those female plants and you'll end up with a harvest full of a bunch of seeds that may or may not be bunk. So females win the male versus female battle. Uh, and in probably my, in general, also. Yeah, in my household, I would have to say that uh, that works out uh, along those same lines. So females in the male versus female battle. Uh, another one I hear a lot is soil versus hydroponics. Um, even though most of the things that people call soil aren't actually soil unless you're growing outdoors. Uh, it's typically a soilless mix that's made up of peat, uh, peat and uh, a bunch of other additives and, and things like perlite and vermiculite and all kinds of other things there. So, but uh, I guess the essential difference is with hydroponics, you're not using any kind of natural uh, you know, product for the medium and the, typically the nutrients aren't organic as well. So for me personally, I'd have to go with soil over hydroponics. I think it's more forgiving. I think for the beginner and for the connoisseur, you're going to just... It's a lot easier. Hydroponics comes with a lot of complicated things that you have to worry about. The temperature of the water, the temperature of, uh, I mean, the nutrient solution in the reservoir. So there's a lot of different issues. And some of the, uh, some of the mediums aren't really very eco-friendly either, rock wool in particular. But, you know, if you're using cocoa, that's kind of a happy medium because it's something to hold the roots in place and you can still use organic nutrients. And technically, that is hydro growing. So 
I like happy medium. That's yeah. a nice, uh, happy nice use. Yeah. Uh, soil another one that comes up yep. with that um, that I think I want to get your take on, taste. You know, soil versus hydro. Is there a difference in taste? Yeah, this is a very uh, contentious subject among growers. I believe there is a difference in the taste. I think hydroponics tends to affect the taste in a negative way, partly because the buds do grow bigger, but it's like they're on steroids. The The muscles are bigger, but they're not able to... Should we stop with the siren? No, let's go with the siren. Right. Just, just everyone at we home are... listening, realize that that's on our end, not on your end. You're, yeah. you're totally cool. Don't that worry. siren is here. We're, we're in New York we're City, in New York and City. there are sirens. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I would go, I would go with soil over hydroponics for flavor, for eco friendliness, for ease of use, and all that. If you're, if you got to do hydro, then you know, pick a medium that's not super hectic like rock wool. Uh, another one, I guess, I hear a lot is indoor versus outdoor. This gets bandied around. Obviously, outdoor for the grower is ideal. You know, the, it's free sunlight. If the plants are in full sun, they can grow quite massively outdoors. So, I mean, outdoor is a no-brainer. And honestly, nothing indoors can really replicate perfect sunshine. So even with the best grow lights, uh, it's an approximation. Now, the reason people prefer indoor to outdoor is typically because it's made in smaller batches. So it's trimmed better. It's, uh, you know, maybe it's a little denser, uh, less leafy than some outdoor can get. But the truth of the matter is if the plant had its druthers, it would grow outdoors in full sun. And that's the, really the best way to make it flourish. And so anything you do indoors is going to basically mimic that as closely as possible, but never quite reach it. So I would go with outdoors over indoors. If, and speaking of in that, a perfect that, world. Uh, that article that I was speaking about at the beginning of the show, uh, the one that Nick wrote that we just put on High Times, uh, he's got you know this farm with 15 foot trees that produce 11 pounds, and it's crazy what you could accomplish outdoors. Yeah, it is, and and you know part of that is planning in advance to to put large plants out uh, at the beginning of the season. So you have to do some indoor growing just to get them to the level uh, where you want them when you put them out. So you know you're always going to have some indoor uh, cloning and mother plants and things like that. But ideally, you know, in a perfect world. It, if there was no marijuana prohibition, outdoors is the way to go. Or greenhouse is perfect. I mean, it's the perfect mix of the two, and you get to control the environment a little better. So greenhouse wins the outdoor versus indoor argument. Nice. <laughs> this is a dark horse candidate, and it totally took it. Well done. <laughs> and that brings us to organic versus chemical. I think people know where I stand on that. You know, you Chemical, orga- right? <laughs> nope. Nope. Uh, organic always always better, not just for the flavor, but for the earth and for the environment. But this is also not just a product uh, that you're going to rub on your skin or that you're going to eat. This is something you smoke and inhale. And so I think going organic is a no-brainer. The nutrients might be a little thicker. They might be a little stinkier, but it's well worth it. Uh, And also considering the fact that uh, chemical nutrients, you know, these things are derived in a laboratory to mimic what organic nutrients naturally do. So, um, you know, nutrient uptake profiles are pretty simple. Organic nutrients have all the beneficial micronutrients and everything added there and all kinds of things that you can't measure, which is how you get a living soil. And especially outdoors, I mean, 
there's no reason to grow with chemicals outdoors. So anybody out there that's doing miracle Grow or anything like that on their outdoor plants, switch to organics. You'll be much happier. And then indoors, again, you'll, you'll definitely be happier. You might, it might be a little stinkier, but the nutrients will be better. Whatever you, you pour out into the world will, will still be organic and won't have a half-life of uh, a million years like some of those chemicals that people are pouring out. So, I mean, all you have to do really is look at something like Salt and Sea or any places where um, this massive petrochemical farming has gone on to know that they're killing the soil and eventually basically creating these deserts where there should be life. So I go organic on that. You know, uh, the, the, interestingly, that that aspect of it, the uh, <clears throat> environmental aspect notwithstanding, I thought one of the most interesting things about the seminar that you moderated in Los Angeles was when Swerve, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you could go back and, and listen to this on one of our shows, uh, Swerve was saying that he didn't see a difference between organic and synthetic. It was all about the flush. And if everything was flushed properly, and it was a very controversial statement when he mm-hmm. made it, but I think that's what he was saying, that it was all about the flush. Yeah, and, and, and I mean the best point that he made is that you should flush whether you're using chemicals or organic nutrients. You definitely still need to flush. So um, don't go thinking that just because the nutrients are, are organic that uh, you don't want to get them out of there in that last week to two weeks of growth because you do, organic or chemical. So, And, you know, obviously I've smoked plenty of chemically fertilized cannabis and, and I mean, you know, everything from General Hydro and Advanced and all those companies. And, you know, if you put it to the test and put it side by side, it would be hard to tell the difference. But all things considered, I think organic's got to be better. And, and also taking the environmental concerns into account. And also the companies that make those uh, those chemicals. Yeah, so, yeah. and yeah. it's not just about fertilizers either. Organic versus chemical also uh, boils down to pest control because there's lots of chemical uh, bombs and things you can use for pest control, but there's still plenty of organic alternatives to that. Neem oil, beneficial insects that attack the other insects, and all kinds of things. So, you know, ultimately, if it's a product you're going to put into your body, I think it's best to go organic. And I think that, you know, people will bear me out on that, and some people will disagree, but hey, I'm and still going to smoke it either way, so... <laughs> <laughs> and that's the that's the truth right there. But uh, if you do have a, a strong feeling one way or the other on this, I think most people would agree with you about organic. But let us know. You could uh, contact us at freeweed at hightimes.com or, of course, on Twitter, hashtag freeweed, at Danny Danko, at MyQs underscore. And on that note, shall we go into Q&A? Let's do some Q&A from Twitter. All right. These are your questions answered by Danny Danko. Uh, like I said, uh, Twitter at Danny Danko or hashtag Free Weed. Yeah. Let's get it started. Yeah. Shout uh, out to Dub Caesar for sending us an awesome package of uh, clothes and stickers and, and stuff. That's awesome. And stuff stoners like too. They put me on a poster. I was pretty excited about that. So shout that, out to them. Is that apropos of nothing, or was that? Yeah, real? apropos of nothing. Okay. I just thought of it. Mm-hmm. You know, Great. I just wanted shout to shout to them guy. out. Hopefully, they're listening and maybe they'll tweet about it. Right on. All right. Well, thank you. And, all right. At Joy Mex writes, um, is it possible to have a DWC system outdoors? So that's a deep water culture? Deep water culture, indeed. And uh, basically what that is is a five-gallon bucket or larger of nutrient solution that's very oxygenated, uh, holding one plant. So you're building this huge hydroponic 
or aeroponic root system in each bucket. And sometimes people have those buckets connected to a a source. Otherwise, you can have them individually uh, as well. And basically, the key to that is just lots of oxygen in the, you know, uh, bubblers in the nutrient solution that just keep it very oxygenated. And that way, you get that explosive DWC, deep water culture root growth, uh, which is also leads to explosive plant growth. And as far as having it outside, there's really no issue uh, of that except the electrical thing. So if you have safe outdoor wiring and plugs and stuff, then by all means, you can definitely do it. Just keep in mind, uh, the heat will evaporate a lot of that water in the reservoir, so you will need to be refilling the reservoir more often outdoors than you would indoors in a DWC. But uh, by all means, I've seen some great hydro systems in greenhouses and outdoors. So um, anything that pretty much works indoors could work outdoors, uh, depending on if you have the proper wiring, which is important because if you don't, uh, and you use indoor wires outside, you're going to have some serious electrical problems. So, yes, the answer is yes. The answer is yes, but it's uh, <laughs> good to know. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, moving on, <clears throat> Rucko A writes, uh, if the water I'm using is at the correct pH level, what should the runoff be? I'm currently getting a very low pH reading uh, with that runoff. What do okay. you think? Okay. Um, that's pretty easy to diagnose. If, the, if you're putting in pH balanced or, or uh, 6.5 or so water and you're getting lower pH water at, in, the, in your runoff, that means that your medium has a very low pH. And the way to correct that, you can use lime, uh, dolomitic lime. Make sure you use the powdered kind and not the kind they use for pools and stuff like that. Make sure it's horticultural dolomitic lime, and you can, and that's a buffer. That'll bring the pH up if it's low and down if it's high. So that's a good one to bring you back to normal. You can also flush that medium uh, with a ton of water, you know, just three or four times the amount of volume in your container of just plain fresh water, and hopefully that will uh, neutralize the pH as well. But you do not want to have a very low pH in your medium because you will get nutrient deficiencies even if that nutrient is present because the plant cannot uptake uh, nutrients at a certain low pH. And it's different with different nutrients. So check out a nutrient uptake pH chart and try to stay right there in the pocket where all your nutrients can be brought up. And typically for soil, that's around 6, 6.5, 6.2. For hydro, you can go down to uh, 6.0, even 5.7, 5.7. Uh, works for hydroponics, but uh, like I said, if your runoff has a low pH and you're putting balanced pH water in, that means your medium has a very low pH. All right, there you go, Rucko A. Hopefully that helps. And uh, moving on, at Third Coast Stoner writes, uh, which do you recommend while plants are in veg, 18 or 24 hours of light? Another question we get a lot here, and that's the vegetative stage. Now, 18 is pretty much the minimum that you want to keep a plant in its vegetative stage uh, and to keep it from flowering indoors. So 18 is the minimum. 24, I believe, is too much. So honestly, if you're not worried about the electricity, 20 hours on is good, 4 hours off during the vegetative time. If you really want to push it, you can go to 22. But you should definitely at least have that 2 to 4 hour dark time for the plant to recover from the light. I do not recommend a 24-hour 
on vegetative cycle. But some do, you know, to each his own. I think it's more natural to have that nighttime where the plant can cool off and relax for a minute and rebuild all of its cells and everything and get ready for the next day. So I'd say 20, 22, no more than 22, and no less than 18. So right there, you're in the pocket. In the pocket. All right. Let's do one more. We've got time for one more. Um, one, of our, one of our guys here at The Texas Pete writes. Yeah, yeah. big fan. Uh, what are the consequences of leaving yellow or dead leaves on a plant? How much should you trim? Okay, any yellow or dead leaves should be removed from the plant. And this works with house plants and pot plants. The reason that yellow sticky traps are yellow is because bugs' uh, brains are so small, they, only, they just see a color and they attack. So to them, to a, to a tiny spider mite or to a, a you know, thrip, they, the color yellow means attack because that's a dying leaf. It's not thriving. It's not at its best. And this is a perfect foothold and a great place to start an attack on the rest of a, a thriving plant. So yellow sticky traps attract those bugs for a reason. And that is because they attack yellow things. And so if there's yellow leaves on the plant, you're basically inviting an infestation of insects. And if there's dying leaves, all the better. That, that gives them places to hide and all kinds of, you know, bases from which to attack the rest of your plant so definitely pull yellow leaves off pull dying leaves off don't leave them on the ground either don't let them accumulate in the pots um, these are festering breeding grounds for pests so uh, get rid of all that as far as other you know healthy leaves i don't really recommend trimming healthy leaves off of a plant but if there's damage on it yellowing or dying kill it get rid of it uh, put it in the compost pile or throw it away. Yeah, you don't want festering breeding grounds for pests, I guess. So. Not at all. And I, you'd be surprised how many grow rooms I see where um, dead leaves all over the floor uh, combined with water, which basically starts composting those leaves and becomes, like I said, that festering breeding ground. And then people wonder why they have spider mites or an infestation or powdery mildew. All right. Well, thanks, the Texas Pete, for that question. And uh, once again, please send your questions to us. Uh, you could email us freeweed at hightimes dot com. You could uh, you could hit us on Twitter at Danny Danko at MyQs underscore hashtag freeweed. All that works, and uh, we want to answer your questions. We have a Facebook page too. We do. Have I a have Facebook an Instagram. Page. I got it all. I'm yeah, all forget over about the, place. the Instagram because I don't even know what that is. But <laughs> look us up on Facebook. We need more likes on that page. Yeah, we're, we need likes we on Facebook. Likes. Like us on Facebook. Like I us. might send you some free do Bob Marley stuff. Do you not like us? Are you not entertained? Is that what's <laughs> happening here? Oh, Lord. All right. Um, well, that's the cultivation that's segment. That's the cultivation segment. And on that note, I think we should go into another great Bob Marley tune. Done. No more trouble. Let's we go. don't need no more trouble. We Thank really you don't. again. Bob Marley, freeshirt.com. much to Mr. Bob Marley for that tune, No More Trouble, uh, incredible song from the Honorable Bob Marley. 
bobmarleyfreeshirt.com. And that song, No More Trouble, makes me think of our prisoners of the war on flowers, people who are locked up in jail, people like Eddie Lepp and Mark Emery and countless other people that we don't know their names that are there in jail. So please, um, you know, we don't need no more trouble. We don't need nonviolent marijuana growers and seed producers in prison at all. So check out my Twitter feed. I've got addresses for Eddie Lepp and Mark Emery in their, in their jails, and you can send them a letter. They really do appreciate hearing from people on the outside. And these guys are going to be getting out eventually. And it's really important to make sure that they know that we care about them and that we're thinking about them. So yeah, take a minute if you can and just let them know you're out there. It'd be a nice thing to do. They'll feel good. You'll feel good. Everyone will feel good. It's old school. I mean, it's a handwritten letter, but like I said, these guys are in there with nothing but time and it's a waste for them to even be there, but it's, they really do appreciate hearing from people on the outside and how they, how they inspired them and, and, you know, just words of uh, encouragement and, and for them. So please check that out on my Twitter feed. And speaking of words of encouragement, nice show, Dan. Yes. Well done. 18. 18, <laughs> 18 shows, shows, man. Shows I'm really – I mean, shout out to everybody who appeared on this show. Miss Jill, Jill from yeah. TGA, Team Green Avenger, uh, TGAgenetics.com. Shout out to Roger Steffens who appeared here. Check out ReggaeSuperSite.com. Um, big shout out to all the the sponsors, BC Northern Lights, Grow Boxes, Ontario Seed Bank, BobMarleyFreeShirt.com. We are just so excited to have companies like that interested in helping us bring you free weed. So uh, if you do get in touch with them, please mention that you heard of, the, heard of them and heard about them through this show. They'll be really psyched to hear it, and it really helps us out as well. Yeah, definitely do that. And um, next week, you know, some stuff to look forward to. Uh, we're going to have a new drug testing segment with our associate publisher, Rick Cusick. I think people really enjoyed that. Uh, we're going to try and bring back the uh, the true-false segment next week, so thank you for the questions that you've been sending, and please do continue to send them. And uh, I had a little I had a little talk with uh, David Grisman, the yeah. uh, the famous mandolin, mandolin player. Mandolin player with played Jerry, Jerry Garcia. Garcia. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we, we talked for the uh, nearly an hour. I talked to the dog for oh, nearly an hour. That's so amazing. We'll get a little bit of that uh, next week also. So, awesome. Yeah. I'm a big fan of his uh, his work with Jerry and his other uh, mandolin stuff over the years. So that's awesome. Really great. Episode 18. I'm so happy you guys have stuck with us. We're excited for episode 19. I do have a question, though, for the listeners. Uh, listeners, we're trying to give you free Marley stuff. We want to give you Marley t-shirts. We have the t-shirts here. We've got them here. Uh, Last week, we might have made the contest a little complicated. It was a little convoluted. We said we wanted a link, and then we wanted a a hashtag, and we wanted an explanation of what Bob Marley means to you. We only got a couple responses, so these things are still here. What do you think, Dan? You want to simplify this? How do you want to do it? Yeah, just tweet me, bobmarleyfreeshirt.com. Tweet that to your friends. Put the hashtag FreeWeed next to it, and uh, and we'll notice it, and we'll get in touch with you either pri- via private message or public. So it's that easy, and it's free stuff. And yeah. all it is, it's just a tweet. So so go right. ahead and make that tweet. And thank you so much to Bob Marley Free Shirt for allowing us to use these snippets of these songs, these incredible remastered songs. 
by Mr. Bob Marley. We've got one left. This is the last one. Uh, we're done with the Bob Marley takeover after this show. So we're going to go into our last song. What, what do you think it should be? I what think should, we should be the last yeah, song? I think it's got to be Redemption Song, and it's got to be that version off of the final concert, September 23rd, 1980, Pittsburgh. Bob Marley and the Wailers live forever, live forever, redemption song. And remember, don't just grow, blossom. <laughs> awesome. You know, redemption song. All pirates, yes, they rabbi. Sold I to the merchant ships. Minutes after they took I from the bottomless pit. But my hand was made strong by the end of the Almighty. Forward in this generation, triumphantly, won't you help to sing another song of freedom? Cause all 